Welcome to the Singapore Management University podcast series, where we feature the latest insights and perspectives from our faculty. Besides being fundamental to personal and work relationships, trust can also enhance collaboration and partnership and contribute to organisational success. Scientific research on trust has accelerated dramatically over the last two decades. This is true in the organisational sciences and also in many other areas, such as behavioural economics and sociology. Unfortunately, little of this research has made its way into practice so far, and many leaders tend to manage trust intuitively, without the benefit of science. For the past 20 years, Don Ferrin, Professor of Organisational Behaviour and Human Resources at the Singapore Management University Lee Kong Chin School of Business, has focused his research career specifically on the topic of trust, aiming to understand the determinants and impact of trust in interpersonal and organisational dynamics. In this podcast, Professor Farin shares his insights on how trust can be built, measured and even repaired. He also discusses how research findings can help organisational leaders build an environment of trust, which can bring significant benefits to the workplace and for individuals. Prof. Farin, I understand that you've been researching on the topic of trust for the last 20 years. Why does this subject fascinate you? Actually, in the very first days of my graduate studies, when I was thinking about what do I want to study and what do, what do I want to devote my career to in terms of research, um, I discovered this concept of trust and I found it really fascinating because it's, on the one hand, a very enigmatic concept. So it's actually quite difficult to understand and it's actually been very difficult for researchers to study it. But at the same time, it's so fundamental to our personal relationships, um, to our work relationships, to organizational success. And so it's something that we're experiencing every day and it's something that actually can be studied scientifically, but um, something that's actually quite challenging and important. So what is trust? What does it mean? So that's actually a really interesting question. And it might seem like that should be an easy question to answer, but it's actually not. And the problem for us has been that trust is a word that we use every day in our daily lives. And we use the word to mean lots of different things. If I think about, oh, do I trust this person? I may be thinking, uh, do I believe the person has competence? Or I might be thinking, do I believe the person has integrity? Or I might be thinking, oh, do I think that this person cares about my interests? Or I may be thinking, I would be willing to make myself vulnerable to that person, for example, by taking their advice or going in a venture with them. And so we use that word trust to mean all those different things, but each one of those is quite different from the next. And so what we've done as scientists, and this is a period over more than a decade, is we've actually turned each of those concepts into a scientific construct that we can actually measure and measure with a very psychometrically sound instruments. And once you can measure something like that, uh, then you're able to start studying how you can earn trust and what the benefits of trust are. Tell us more about your research. How does trust impact on organizations? So we found a lot. One of the studies that I did uh, fairly early in my career was what is called a meta-analysis. And a meta-analysis that's used a lot in medical research um, and is now beginning to be used a lot in organizational research. What we do is we go out and we do an extensive search to find basically every study that's ever been conducted on, in this case, trust with other variables such as performance, job satisfaction, retention in the organization and so on. And we looked not just for the studies that have been published but also studies that were not published. So for, for example doctoral dissertations or studies that researchers did but for whatever reason didn't publish them. And then we can actually get all those and quantitatively estimate the effect size. 
And that's been helped us to be able to basically pinpoint how strong the effects of trust toward a leader are on outcomes. We find that trust has quite strong effects on variables such as organizational commitment, willingness to stay with the organization, job satisfaction, and so on. Trust has sort of weak to moderate effects on performance. And the reason, I think, and it, it's becoming clearer from the literature now, the reason that it has weaker effects on performance seems to be that trust doesn't directly affect performance, but it indirectly affects performance. And so just because I trust my boss doesn't mean I should automatically perform well. But if my boss sets for me, a, a, say, a challenging target or offers me a bonus, a reward or something, if I trust my boss, I'll probably go for it, right? But if I don't trust my boss, I may be hesitant. And so trust helps other motivating factors or other organizational factors um, result in performance or it can hinder them as well. Did you come across any interesting revelation? What's become really interesting is uh, researchers, including myself, have realized that the challenge of repairing trust after a violation is very different from building trust in the first place. And the processes of repairing trust after a violation are quite different as well. So we've been doing a lot of work, and, and actually quite a lot of this work has been done at SMU, looking at how people can repair trust after a violation. And I think what's been interesting in that is, so we look at, at tactics such as apology and denial um, to repair competence violations and integrity violations, and that some of the main research has focused on that. What's really interesting is that I think a lot of people wonder whether trust can be repaired after a violation, and we have plenty of evidence to say that it can be. <laughs> and um, one of the most effective tactics for repairing trust is an apology, and actually not a simple apology, but a broad-based apology that has several components. So, for example, uh, taking re responsibility for the violation, um, expressing a willingness to repair the violation, for example, uh, covering any costs involved, uh, promising not to uh, commit the violation in the future, um, also indicating that you've actually repented, which is kind of a, a way of saying that you've actually transformed yourself individually, you've learned from the experience. And so we have a lot of research that shows that that's very effective, especially for repairing competence violations. One thing that I am really surprised at, and actually other researchers studying trust repair are really surprised at, is how underutilized apologies are. <laughs> and so we researchers have sat around just sort of amazed that you see these corporate scandals and government scandals worldwide, and um, the obvious thing to do is apologize, and the people who have been harmed are really just looking for an apology, but leaders, uh, when they're caught in the situation, they, they try to do anything except apologize. <laughs> so I think that's one thing that's been quite revealing to us, is apologies are really powerful. A second thing is we've had difficulty finding effective ways for people to repair integrity-based violations. And so when someone has violated your expectations about their character, their truthfulness, uh, things like that, it's very hard to repair trust. And one thing that I've reflected on is I think that we have an irrational bias toward not being willing to trust again after integrity violation. Because I think most of us, if we asked ourselves, have we ever violated someone else's integrity expectations, we'd have to say yes. <laughs> and then if we asked ourselves, well, do we deserve then to never be trusted again? And the answer is obviously no. And so I think as trustors, we need to learn a bit more about how to judiciously trust again after your trust has been broken. Have you observed any differences in the trust dynamics in Asian companies and societies as compared to Western ones? So that's a challenging question. <laughs> and usually the culture 
uh, questions are more challenging. A few years ago, a co-author and I, Nicole Gillespie and I, thought, well, it would be really great to figure out what is the effect of culture on trust. And so we actually uh, took a quite a major effort and found all the articles we could find uh, that had studied trust across cultures or trust involving a culture variable. We found more than 50 empirical articles. So it was very laborious to go through and review these articles and make sense of them one by one. But we were really excited because we knew that once we could actually review all these articles and summarize them, then we'd have the answer. What's the effect of culture on trust? By the time we got done, we were more confused than when we started. <laughs> so the literature, it's come to very few clear answers on that question. But there are some conclusions we're able to draw from that. One is that the conceptualizations of trust that we have in the literature that's been mainly developed in the West, uh, so I mentioned the conceptualizations of ability, benevolence, integrity, willingness to be vulnerable, those seem to hold up quite well around the world. And so as researchers, um, I can very easily pick up some standard measures of those that have been developed in the West and apply them in Singapore or China or India and they will still be psychometrically valid. Uh, maybe not as perfect as in all cases as in the original context, but usually pretty close. That said, they don't reproduce perfectly, and there's some good evidence. In fact, um, some of the best evidence is from Hui Hun Tan, which is, who's one of my colleagues in the business school, showing that the way you earn another person's perceptions of trustworthiness can differ country to country. So, for example, the data she presented showed that if you were going to earn someone's benevolence perception in Turkey, you'd have to do some things that are quite different from if you were doing it in China versus America. And so the concepts travel, but the mechanisms uh, can differ country to country. So you have to contextualize these to the countries. A second way that's quite relevant, especially for Chinese cultures, is there are different cultural practices and norms. So, for example, Guanxi um, is a very dominant practice through greater China uh, that really dictates where trust can form and how trust can form. And of course, I think all cultures would have uh, the concepts of networking, but uh, it would operate differently in different cultures. And so, uh, again, the, the concepts of what trust is, benevolence, ability, integrity, and so on, would travel across cultures, but the social structures can differ from place to place. There's one more that's really interesting is uh, sociologists have done work for decades now looking at a variable called propensity to trust. And so that's an individual difference variable, like a personality variable. And it asks the question, how much would you trust another person in general, such as a stranger? And there are just dramatic differences. So this is not a single study, but it's actually uh, different sociologists around the world who administer the same questions periodically in different countries around the world. The question basically asks, to what extent would you trust another person or you can't be too careful dealing with person? And it's a forced choice. And high con trust countries are mainly the Nordic countries and Canada. And uh, people, you'll have about 50 to 60 percent, sometimes 70 percent of the population saying yes to that question. You can trust other people in general. Um, low trust countries like Peru and Brazil, um, you'll get 3% or 5% or 7% of people. <laughs> so one thing we know from that is in low trust countries, it takes a lot longer to develop the relationship where trust can exist. But once you have the relationship, you can rely on personal trust. But if you're um, in Nordic countries, 
you're halfway there already uh, when you're starting to uh, work on building trust. In this study, where did Asia stand? And so basically what we find is most Asian countries range in the, like, between 30% and 50% agreeing to those questions. Um, Singapore is about in the middle of that. Uh, Japan is toward the higher end. Um, Taiwan is also toward the higher end. Um, countries on the lower end are uh, countries like Malaysia and Philippines. But again, this study is really looking at only propensity to trust. And so that's important for the initial relationship. But then uh, once you get past that initial part of the relationship, then many other processes kick into effect, um, which are going to require a lot more study to be able to understand. And so I'd say uh, we're beginning to do that culture research, but uh, there's much, much more to be done until we can say things that are more definitive about the effects of culture on trust. It's been said that the science of trust has raised ahead of actual practice. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, that's definitely true. I think trust is quite different from some other areas. So, for example, leadership research, we have not only an extensive scientific literature, but also pedagogical tools for training people how to be better leaders. That's true in negotiation and lots of other fields. But in the trust area, the literature has expanded dramatically in the last 20 years. We have a very solid, extensive literature but hardly any of it has gotten into practice. And so there are a few things that I would say. One is that my experience with most companies and uh, most uh, consulting firms who help companies with trust issues is that they could do a lot better with measurement. And so I mentioned earlier in, in the session uh, the different concepts of trust, uh, ability, benevolence, integrity, for instance. Um, in a survey that just asked the question, how much do you trust your leader? when you get the responses back, you don't know what people are thinking when they answer that question. And so asking such a general question uh, is not really a good way to understand what uh, your trust issues are. And I think an important part of managing trust well is measuring it accurately in the first place. And so if you're interested in your workforce's perceptions of the leader's ability, then uh, it would be worthwhile to ask an ability question. If you're interested in integrity, ask an integrity question, or a benevolence, ask a benevolence question. But really, I think, I mean, our evidence is that all three are important. So leaders need to actually be delivering on all three. And if you want to measure trust, which you do, <laughs> then it's important to measure all three. Um, going even beyond that, the scientific lit literature has very psychometrically sound measures of trust. Um, and I would urge business leaders uh, to look into those and, and contact uh, one of us trust scholars for guidance, if you like, to help you find your way to some good measures of trust, uh, because you'll be able to measure it much more accurately and then be able to manage it much more effectively. And finally, what advice do you have for business leaders? It seems like most people really want to work in high-trust organizations, but most people don't. <laughs> And I think that's a frustration or more to lots of people that there's not, there are not higher levels of trust in their organizations. How do we get to higher trust organizations? I think the people best placed to make organizations high trust organizations are the leaders um, because the leaders really set the tone at the top and they have a lot of control over the organizational climate and the trust climate. The irony is the people who are most unlikely to find out about trust problems are also the leaders, okay? Uh, because if you as a leader have a trust problem, you will probably be the last person to hear about it. Um, and the problem, of course, is because it takes the person trusting you for them to be courageous enough to tell you that you have a trust problem. And so if you have a trust problem, you're not going to hear about it. 
And so one very important thing I think leaders need to do is find out about the level of trust. If you just assume that trust is there, you may be very well wrong. And so one, probably the best way to, to find out what the trust levels are, are measure trust, as we just discussed. A second way is to be more inquisitive. And so ask people who you trust within the organization, people who have uh, a good sense of what's happening on the ground, uh, your direct reports and, and more distant people about trust. And of course, it still takes trust for them to to respond, but it takes away for them the challenge of having to muster up the courage to uh, make the conversation happen on their own. Another thing that I think it's really important for leaders to do is remove the taboo about talking about trust. So most organizational issues that have to do with people like engagement, retention, satisfaction, it's quite accepted and actually desirable to talk about them in organizations. And so we have conversations and when there's a problem, uh, it's not any problem at all to go and talk to the boss about it. But I think it's much more difficult for people to have conversations about trust um, because leaders assume that if there's a trust issue or trust problem, then that's an indictment of their character. And that in itself is a problem that we need to move beyond. And so I'd like to see organizations move toward thinking about trust as something to be managed. Tr uh, trust is not something that's either you have it or you don't, but instead it's something that's variable, and it's variable for different people, for different units in the organization, toward different targets, such as trust in teams versus trust in direct supervisor, toward trust in the CEO. And in general, we would like to would benefit from increasing trust levels, and so we should be measuring trust around the organization, um, having a look at the data, and then working as organization leaders and members toward improving trust levels. So managing trust like we manage other variables uh, like satisfaction. I think one final point I'd like to mention has to do with another question that executives sometimes ask me when I'm talking about trust. And the question goes like this, what you're saying is fine, but it's really going to take the top leaders in my organization doing this. I can't do it myself. <laughs> And in some ways that's true, but in some ways um, I think there are ways around that. And the advice I give them is that just because you're in an environment where maybe the top leaders don't really recognize the trust issues or there's a trust climate organization-wide that's a problem, doesn't prevent you from creating a trust microclimate around yourself. And so I, I would suggest thinking about this in terms of how can I build trust levels with the people in my immediate universe, the people I, I interact with directly or maybe just one peg away and have a high trust microclimate. And if I can do that, then that makes actually life much better for the people in my immediate vicinity, uh, which is a benefit. Also, when you see a high trust microclimate in an organization, it can be a model in other parts of the organization and other units may say, hey, you know, there's a one spot at least where there's high trust, maybe we can do it elsewhere, and so it may actually spread. Another advantage is if you get enough people building high trust microclimates in the organization, then it actually changes the overall climate, which can be a benefit. But even if those other things don't happen at all, if you've built a high trust microclimate around yourself, that's actually a really nice place to be. <laughs> and so you'll be a direct beneficiary. And so there are practices you, you can take to build trust with the people in your immediate vicinity. Um, and doing so is really beneficial, not just for your organization, but especially for you. Thank you, Professor. My pleasure.